And he goes to describe in neuroscience that the human brain is hardwired in such a way that it records patterns or memorizes these patterns and pushes us on autopilot. A nanosecond when it encounters a familiar cue that sparks those patterns. In other words, we know from neuroscience, and Charles Duhigg reminds us, that the brain loves habits. And if our brains are hardwired for habits, if they guide at least 40%, maybe 50% for me, of what you and I do every day, then a very important question for all of us is how do we break bad habits and how do we make good ones? Because good habits are not only essential for a healthy body, they are absolutely essential for a healthy soul. Because we form our habits, and our habits ultimately form us. This is not a new idea from neuroscience. The ancient Hebrew poets over 3,000 years ago understood this brilliantly. The psalmist understood that the heart and heart habits of daily life are inextricably connected, connected to a happy life. That the habits of the heart and the habits of the life or the habits of the day form us and transform us. So it's not surprising as we come into the Psalms, in Psalm 4 and 5, that we discover two foundational daily habits that build a healthy soul. In Psalm 4, we discover the first one, and that is the habit of morning prayer. Psalm 5, on the heels of it, and it is structured intentionally by the uh, writers of the Psalms, we encounter the habit of evening prayer. So this morning's message follows that flow. These two habits are at the heart of a spiritually formed life. First, the habit of evening prayer. Psalm 4, as you look at it, if you do not have your Bible open, turn there with me if you would, paints this beautiful poetic portrait of an evening prayer offered up to God. Now, as we enter this psalm, clearly David is ticked off as he hits the pillow. As he tucks himself into bed, David is really ticked off. You feel it. He has been dealing with some very difficult people in his life. Can anybody relate to that? Yet he still clamors for God, and in the soul confusion, he affirms his trust in God. Look at verses 4 and 5. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be still or be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So as we enter this psalm, as the psalmist cries out in prayer, in the evening prayer, we hear these words, listen carefully, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be still or be quiet. Now remember that poetry, and this is what this genre is, packs a big punch in a small literary space. A part of poetry's purpose is to help us in a frenetic mind to slow down and to marinate in its deep, rich truths. This slowing down is reflected right away in Psalm 4. Notice a very rich Hebrew word that is translated ponder. Think of slow down and think. 
on the heels of that is the musical notation selah, which most scholars think means to pause or to slow down. Slow down. So the psalmist wants us to slow down. The poetry drives us to be still. Now the musical notation helps us to remember something that all of us need to remember, that prayer, this prayer most likely written by David, was put to musical accompaniment and used as corporate prayer for God's covenant people. Now I want you to notice, for those of you who love literary dynamics, you'll notice something, and sometimes the prayer, prayers of the Psalms are confusing. This is how to, get, how, to, how to understand it. You can see in this Psalm, and you'll see in other Psalms, that by noticing how the Psalmist moves back and forth from first person singular, like I or me or my, right? To then first person plural, us, or you, second person, you or your plural, that he moves from his own personal prayer to corporate prayer. You see how that's arranged. Sometimes that's a confusing thing and that's helpful for us to grasp. So here in Psalm 4, we have a poetic picture. It's presented to us, to an entire faith community, that's important, and it highlights the importance of unhurried times of attentive prayer offered to God before we fall asleep. See, we often think of prayer as finding out the what of prayer, and there is what here. But the primary focus and purpose of Psalm 4 and 5 in the Psaltery is to establish the importance of the when of prayer, the when of prayer starting with the habit of evening prayer, <laughs> and that morning may seem a bit weird to us, but it wasn't weird to the Hebrew writer. In our cultural context, how does a new day begin? In the morning. But for the Hebrew psalmist, a new day began, notice this is very important to understand this, it began in the evening at sunset. The evening prayer didn't finish the day it started a new day. Now, why do the Hebrew poets understand this? We have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. Hebrew poets reflected the, the rhythm of creation. And if you go back to Genesis 1, if you have your Bible, you can zip back there quicker. It'll be on the screen. In verses 3 and 4, let me just capture this. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. Now notice this phrase. It's used six times after every day of creation. And there was what? Evening and there was morning the first day. The Hebrew text is emphatic on the importance of the order. Notice the order. In other words, it's not there was morning and evening. There was evening and morning. This is very important the Hebrew text. Because in the six days of creation, God worked and he'd worked all the time. It did not start in the morning, nor did God's work stop in the evening. God's creation work only ceased on the seventh day. But we as his image bearers, who are created with work in mind, our work, listen carefully, is accomplished in the day and we rest in God's continuing work at night. The habit of evening prayer, highlighted here for the, psalm, for the psalmist for us, reminds us of this truth. While we join God in his work during the day, we rest in God's work at night. The habit of evening prayer is a daily expression 
of our rest or trust in God's faithfulness to provide for us, to care for us, to protect us. One of the most beautiful evening prayers is given to us at the end of Psalm 4. It's one I often pray, and I commend it to you, young and old. It's a great place to put your head on the pillow, right here in verse 8. I would memorize it and put it in your heart. Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? In peace, I will both lie down, <laughs> like that, and I will sleep. For you alone, O Lord, sovereign Lord, means make me dwell in safety. Isn't that beautiful? As David puts his head on this pillow, he nestles his heart in the arms of a loving and sovereign God. And we know that at times prayer does change circumstances. But there's no indication that his circumstances have changed. But there's every indication that his life has. Because prayer is first and foremost about changing us, not our circumstances. Notice in Psalm 4, just like in Psalm 3, do you hear this antiphonal refrain that God answers David's, David's prayer within his prayer? David moves from distress to abundant joy to a peaceful night's sleep. And I love how one ancient writer describes this, an early church father. They slumber sweetly when faith rocks them to sleep. Evening prayer reminds us that God is always attentive to us, that he is always fully present to us, and he is always with us. That God is at work in your life, in my life, in our world, even while we sleep. Evening prayer is a time for God's attending presence to speak into the longings and fears of your heart and mine. Think with me for a moment. How is God attending you when you put your head on the pillow at night? Are you meeting him there? Is he meeting you there? Have the storms in your life that often bring sleeplessness? Have they been hushed in evening prayer when you wait on God who delivers you from distress? When trouble and sorrow leave you wandering as you put your head on your pillow, will you stop and attend to God's word? Evening prayer is the most beautiful exclamation of our daily surrender to the sovereignty of God. I remember my mom tucking me in as a little boy, teaching me a bedtime prayer, and it, this bedtime prayer often greets me on my pillow still today. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray my soul, O oh Lord, please take. Evening prayer centers us. It centers us in the one who gives ultimate rest to our weary souls. Evening prayer also prepares us for the work we are called to do and the world we will encounter the next morning. Because evening prayer reminds us every day that while we sleep, God doesn't. Christians for many centuries have understood this and they have patterned their life after this. One of the early church fathers, a Cappadocian father named Basil of Caesarea, writes so brilliantly from the history books. He says this, the practice of nightly prayer is particularly helpful, listen, for avoiding future sin. In the night, God refreshes us, not only physically, but spiritually. He prepares us for the arrival of morning's dawn and the uncertainty 
the morning will bring. So how do you spend the last few minutes of your day before you go to sleep? Does an evening prayer tuck your children in bed at night? Students, what is the last thing you do and think about before you go to sleep? Are you on Facebook? Or are you seeking the face of God? Have you formed a habit of evening prayer? We all have habits, don't we? And some of them are good, some are bad. Some of our prayer habits are really more harmful than good. One of them is sort of the touch and go habit. Right? We all have that, whether it's morning or evening, but in the evening often. We have a hard day, difficult doctor's appointment, a tough business deal, a tough class tomorrow. And we sort of just give a perfunctory prayer to God, oh God, help me. But if we are honest, the touch and go prayer habits of our lives are not so as much about nurturing intimacy with God as it is about easing our cluttering mind and our uneasy conscience that we lived in another day completely without a thought for, of God at all. Evening prayer can be one of the most profoundly transformative habits of our lives, but so too can morning prayer. Look with me at Psalm 5. Morning prayer prepares us to be attentive to God and those around us as we join with God in our work. Notice verses 1 through 3. The psalmist cries out, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. Now notice this, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare my worship or offering or sacrifice for you and I watch. Notice the intention of the poetry of repeating morning twice. Don't you just love it? <laughs> That as dawn breaks, David describes himself as groaning. <laughs> Maybe that's how you feel when the alarm goes off, particularly on Monday morning. You know, the morning people, you, know, you can always tell the difference between a morning person and an evening person, right? The morning person greets God like this, Lord, good morning. And the evening person goes, good Lord, it's morning. Right? <laughs> I have a hunch in the poetry of Psalm 5, that David was a night owl. I'm willing to bet on it. Yet David disciplines his life with a habit of morning prayer, centering his soul attentively on God and what may lay ahead in his waking hours. Here is the man after God's own heart, and the first thing he does in the morning as a night person is to seek God's heart. Wow, that challenges me. David rubs the sleep from his eyes. He remembers God's intimate attentiveness to himself and the importance of cultivating an attentive posture to God. Notice the expectation at the end of verse 3. It's a brilliant Hebrew word that says, be aware, watch. It's a picture of anticipation that God is going to do great things in his life and his work that day, that God is going to be present. And while evening prayer, there's a sense of quiet submission to God, here in our morning prayer, there's a sense of hopeful, hopeful anticipation that God is God and he's going to join us in anything we face that day. And he's going to join us in our work. Notice David's morning prayer is not a prayer to find rest from his work, but to find rest in his work. David is also, if you look at the psalm, and I encourage you to read it, and pray through it. He is very keenly aware of the evil he will encounter during his waking hours. 
As he woke up, worry and fear, like all of us, must have greeted him at times. David knew it was a jungle out there. One of my favorite television shows, I'm sorry it's off these days, is Monk. Anyone watch Monk? I mean, I don't know if there's still reruns. I, I get a Monk fix once a year with DVDs. It just helps me live. But Monk is a great show. <laughs> Monk is a brilliant detective. If you haven't seen the show, get some old ones on Netflix, okay? It's worth it. It's a brilliant show about this brilliant detective, but he's all got all kinds of issues, like all of us do. These are very pronounced, anxiety, fear, phobias. And I love the theme song of the many years that Monk was a hit show, and it's called It's a Jungle Out There. Let me give you a few of the words just to give some of you Monkers a fix. I won't sing it, I promise. It's a jungle out there. There's disorder and confusion everywhere. Poison in the air we breathe. Do you know what's in the water you drink? People think I'm crazy because I worry all the time. If you paid attention, you'd be worried too. You better pay attention or this world we love so much might just kill you. You know, I think that's a great picture of many of the Psalms. If I were to label Psalm 5, I would label it, it's a jungle out there. But what is hopeful? What is hopeful? In this Psalm, even though I think David and Monk have a lot in common, is that yes, it's a jungle out there. But there's the king of the jungle who's the sovereign Lord who has the final say, ultimately. Notice in the psalm the emphasis on lies and deceit and brokenness and the hell-bent rebellion against God. You just see it come off the pages. Yet in David's prayer, there's, there's hopeful confidence in God. David affirms in the psalm, and read it, God's holiness, his sovereign power, his covenantal love for his people. And if you'll notice, if you heard last week, verses 4 through 12 follow the same pattern that Psalm 3 of emphasizing the psalmist's vulnerability before God. Then his affirmation of trust and his appeal for rescue. Vulnerability, trust, and rescue. They flow out of David's life. And observe with me, if you would, in this brilliant poem. This beautiful prayer, the beautiful crescendo of hopeful security, do you see it, that David feels as both sunshine and shadows and clouds greet him on the morning horizon in his morning prayer. Verse 11, you'll notice David cries out with joyful security for God's attentive protection over his life. And look at how this beautiful prayer ends. Verse 12, for you bless the righteous, O Lord, you cover him with favor as with a shield. Now remember this word shield in the Hebrew poetry is important, but this is a different Hebrew word than uh, Psalm 3. Psalm 3 shield pictures a warrior protecting individually, but this is a massive canopy of God's providential protection over every square inch of reality. It's a picture that there's nothing that your day might bring where God is not aware and providential over your life. That's how David begins his morning prayer. You probably know that one of my favorite writers in the 20th century is German pastor who was martyred by the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was an extraordinary pastor and thinker and a, an extraordinary person of God. And he's been a companion to me since I was a teenager. He writes and he modeled this in his life, if you know his life, and all those he taught of the importance of the habit of morning prayer. And this is what he says about morning prayer. 
He says the entire day receives order and discipline when it acquires unity. This unity must be sought and found in morning prayer. It is confirmed in work. The morning prayer determines the day. The psalmist modeled the importance of a disciplined and a daily intentionality in prayer. And embedded in the Psalms, the prayer book, there's this rhythmic regularity of evening and morning prayer. Psalm 92, one captures this again. It's good to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Jesus modeled this. Of course he did. In the Gospels, he prays in the evening. Remember when he calls his disciples, when he's about to go to the cross, he has an evening prayer rhythm. But Jesus also has a morning prayer rhythm. And you see this in the Gospels where he goes in the morning to a solitary place to pray. Throughout history of the Christian church, followers of Jesus have embraced the rich transformational attentiveness to God and formation of our life through the rhythm of evening and morning prayer. Others have added other days of prayer, times of prayer. Daniel prayed three times a day. Peter as well in the New Testament. But you see that evening and morning prayer is the primary rhythm. And one of the tragedies for us, many of us at least, is that because of a misunderstanding of grace and a propensity of all of our prideful hearts for a suffocating religious legalism, we have missed the life-giving and transformational habit of evening and morning prayer. Let's remember something, and hear me careful, that while grace is always opposed to any kind of merit before God, it is not opposed to effort and discipline. Grace properly understood flows from gratitude, and it leads to a life of intentionality and attentiveness in the yoke of Jesus. Let's remember on the cross, Jesus did it all for us, right? He paid it all. He finished the work. There is nothing we can do, including evening, morning prayers, or any other spiritual discipline that will ever earn us righteousness or merit or goodness before a holy and righteous God. Only Jesus can do that. And Jesus has. The good news of the gospel is that when we, in repentance and faith, place our faith in the finished work of Jesus, we are spared from the righteous, holy wrath of God, and we are completely forgiven and we are fully accepted by God. This is the great news of the gospel. And it is in this news we live a life of discipline, gratitude, and love. Because love, remember we said, Simone Weil, the wonderful French writer, love is focused attention. And when we experience the love of Christ in his transformational power of the gospel, we begin to love as Jesus loved. And if we love as Jesus loved, we focus our attention on him as the primary order of our life. David says in Psalm 5, we are completely covered with grace. Notice how he ends it? With a mighty shield. It is because of this and a spirit of gratitude and a restored relationship we embrace the habits of prayer that foster in all of our lives a necessary attentiveness, that foster being fully present with God, and that foster an intimacy with God that our hearts long for, not only when we tuck our heads on the pillow, but when we wake in the morning and throughout the day in our work. And let's not forget, maybe it's just me, okay? I don't think so. But it has been my experience throughout my entire life that the idols of my heart often tuck me in at night and greet me first thing in the morning. Without a regular rhythm of prayer, 
you and I are much more prone to temptation, to distraction, to a hurried spirit. And our spiritual formation and Christ-likeness is greatly hindered. So how do we begin to make prayer a healthy daily habit? Many people say that it takes 30 days. Research has that 30 days of a new neural pathway. So I'm going to ask you, will you, I don't know what your habits of prayer are now, but will you join me with more intentionality to embrace a healthy, grace-motivated, Holy Spirit-empowered evening and morning prayer habit in your life? Morning and evening prayer is a life rut worth digging. Remember again, prayer does change things. Often prayer changes things in the future. The prayers of a heartbroken mom or dad over a prodigal son. Or a child. But prayer ultimately changes us. So let me ask you three questions as I'm asking myself. First is this. I'd like you to write these down. What lame excuses do you need to confront in your life? <laughs> I mean, they are lame, right? We all make excuses. Prayer can be hard at times. Sometimes it feels pointless, doesn't it not? But as an apprentice of Jesus, prayerlessness is not an option. And even if you are not a Christian, you're here, you're not a Christian yet, you have a desire to get to know this God that we talk about around here, prayer is where this relationship with Christ begins. I know excuses, I got tons of them. I'm too busy, right? And the busier you are, the more you need this habit of morning and evening prayer in your life because the arch enemy of prayer is a busy life and a hurried spirit. Another excuse I hear often, right? I don't get anything out of my prayer. But would you listen to that for just a moment? <laughs> if we listen to what we're saying, we hear how narcissistic we are when it comes to prayer. No other human relationship would ever survive if it was all about us. Yet that's how many of us approach prayer. Hear me carefully. Prayer is much more than getting something out of it. Prayer is about getting to know someone intimately. Prayer is about attentiveness. Another excuse I hear is, I don't know what to say when I pray. This is one of the reasons why we're using the Psalms. We're exploring them together to give us a language and rhythm of prayer. Another excuse I hear is, I pray all the time. <laughs> I don't need to have a regular time of prayer every day. Really? Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing, and that is a good thing. Believe me. But is it not the richness of our conversational prayer throughout the day that is built on discipline and intentionality to be attentive to God at least in the morning and the evening? Because routines make for good relationships. Before bedtime and your day starts, form a habit of unhurried and undistracted prayer. That's my challenge to each one of us this morning. Secondly, what life seasons do you need to consider? What life seasons do you need to consider? Our prayer life not only deepens with spiritual maturity, it is shaped by the stage of life we find ourselves in. Rhythms in prayer often look differently when you're a parent of small children than when you're a single adult, adult or an empty nester. If you are a parent of small children, 
There are interruptions and demands. You know that. And as husband and wife, you have to help each other find times of rhythms of prayer for you. And perhaps, as a family, you need to be more disciplined about technology and shutting it off before you go to bed at night to give you some space for attentiveness to Christ. Third, what little steps will you take? We all have lame excuses, we have life seasons, and we have little steps to take. If you do not have a well-grained habit of evening and morning prayer, will you begin to move in that direction with me? September 1st is just around the corner. It's a good marker. Will you commit with me for the 30 days of September? To begin, doesn't have to be big or long, an intentional rhythm of evening and morning prayer in your life. Will you memorize Psalm 92.1, at least part of it? It's good to declare your loving kindness in the morning, Lord, and your faithfulness at night. And wrap that around your heart in building a rhythm of evening and morning prayer. Will you take this card? We have a nice card we've handed out. You have Psalm 4, the dark color reminds you of evening and the brighter color reminds you of the morning. Use that as a guide to pray. Put it by your bedstand, wherever you go, by your cup of coffee in the morning and begin this rhythm. Will you also think of prayers like the Lord's Prayer? Most of us know that. That can be a vital part of a morning prayer of centering and an evening prayer of attentiveness. One of the prayers, let me just, people ask me about me and I am very much a work in progress, you know that. But one of the prayers I often pray, particularly in my morning prayers, and they often aren't real long, is Colossians 1.10. And I often pray, Lord, and this is just a little adaptation, Lord, help me to walk in a manner worthy of you today. Help me to please you in all respects, to bear fruit in every good work, and to increase in the knowledge of God. Amen. The prayers of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation are a template for us to be attentive to God when we pray and in the rhythms of daily life in the evening and in the morning. If you're in a community group, remind each other. Encourage each other this fall. Encourage each other in a loving, graceful way to build in the habit of evening and morning prayer. Jesus has invited you to come to him and find rest in him. In his easy yoke, he promises you rest from your work and rest in your work this week. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of Jesus' great invitation in Matthew 11, puts it this way. He writes, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. As apprentices of Jesus, let's learn together, individually and as a community of faith, the unforced rhythms of grace the Psalms beckon us to. Prayer is not only a habit of the heart we embrace, 
It is a habit of life. We are privileged to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Holy Spirit, teach us to pray. May we embrace your invitation and may we live the unforced rhythms of grace. Lord, teach us to be more attentive to you in the morning, in the evening, throughout the day. And in your gospel grace, may we live this life freely and fully. Prepare us this day for what lies ahead, unknown to us, and prepare us for the week ahead that we might honor you and find rest in our various callings and stations of life. You are a faithful God, and we declare your faithfulness in our every prayer.